Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me this week for another inspiring conversation. I am so grateful for this incredible community and am so proud of everything we've accomplished together this year. Now, before we dive in, I want to share our latest listener review that came in last week. Ash says, wow, this podcast is so amazing. I'm not the healthiest person, nor do I prioritize myself in any meaningful way, but this makes me want to jump up and take ownership of my wellness. Ash, thank you so much for the kind words. I know that it can be hard sometimes to put ourselves first, but I do hope that you are able to prioritize yourself over time and remember that you are worth it. This is something I often struggle with too. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast and for sharing your thoughts with others. Now, this whole concept of putting ourselves first and really prioritizing ourselves is something that comes up quite a bit in today's conversation. We have a really empowering guest on this episode of the podcast. Becca Powers is a Fortune 500 sales exec and author of the new book, Harness Your Inner CEO which explores how we can create the life of our dreams and focus on the things that matter most to us. She shares the story of how she lifted herself up after hitting an emotional rock bottom and pursued a life of passion and prosperity. In our conversation, we talk about our default coping mechanisms and how they hold us back, tips for finding our passion, how we can truly step into our power, ways to nurture the relationships in our lives, and so much more. We really get into a lot this week and you are gonna love this one. So enough from me, let's hear from Becca Powers. Hi, Becca. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Yes, thanks, Valerie, for having me on. Well, it is such a pleasure. I'm excited to talk with a fellow South Floridian. And really, before we dive in, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what your career journey has looked like? Yeah, I'd love to. And just to speak on that real fast, it's not very often I get to speak to someone who's in South Florida when I'm in South Florida. So that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yes, um, a little bit about my career journey and what is bringing us to speak today is I've had a 20-year corporate career in sales specifically. I've spent a lot of time in Fortune 500 companies working for companies like Cisco, Dell, Office Depot, and have primarily had my career in sales leadership and, and high-level sales roles. And I say that because throughout my journey, especially in sales leadership, I have a, a mission mantra, so to speak. It's people before profits, is, and it's kind of like my North Star when I'm when I'm at work. And I had a, I was about 35 years old and it was in 2013 and I was a regional sales manager for Dell. And I was really strongly attached to this mission mantra of putting people before profits. And I got recruited by a company that had a very similar mantra. And it only made sense that I have to take this position. Like it was just, just the only way that I could go. And when I went to go resign from Dell, when I accepted this other position, my VP of sales at the time, I was terrified to resign because I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to not mark me non-rehirable. What's going to happen? And then he actually responded opposite and not only complimented me, but said, I'm really proud of you. You are the CEO of your life. So that was one of those aha moments. I don't know, Valerie, if you can relate to like one of those, like sometimes people just say a phrase or something like that and it just sticks with you. But that was one of those. Oh, that is so cool. Mm -hmm. and, but as you know, you've, you've read the book and we'll talk a little bit about it, but my career journey then went into a role that if I was being honest with myself, wasn't an exact fit. And I powered through a role that wasn't an exact fit for three years to the point that I ended up with two anxiety disorders from being in chronic stress all the time, formed autoimmune disease, my hair was falling out in clumps. And at the height of everything, I fell to the bathroom floor in like that moment of desperation. And um, once I hit that bathroom floor, I called out to the universe like, I need another way. I can't possibly continue. And that, in, in that moment when I felt the most depleted and the most hopeless is when I say I got like my instant miracle and that thought you are the CEO of your life came back to me. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if I'm the CEO of my own life, then why am I crying on the bathroom floor? I think I've got a lot more, you know, a lot more choice in this than I thought. And so that's kind of like the high level of my journey. And 
once I embodied this thought of I am the CEO of my life, I was able to step back into my power and create a light I absolutely love. And now I just want to shout it from the rooftops. I'm like, you are the CEO of your life, everybody. I think that's such a powerful story and something that so many of us can relate to. I think plenty of us have been in roles that weren't a fit for us, or um, maybe we loved what we were doing, but we weren't sure how our relationships were aligning or other areas of our life were aligning. So what would you say? I know you wrote an entire book on this, but what exactly does it mean to harness your inner CEO? What, what I feel it means is the ability to step into your personal power and what I mean by that is like sometimes we spend a lot of time and, and not all for bad reasons, but we, we find ourselves wanting to be approval of other people's and validation and things like that. And when we do that, we step out of our power. So my idea of what it means to harness your inner CEO is that you really are owning your personal power. You are operating from a place of owning your self-worth and your confidence and your choices are coming from that. When they do, um, you really get to connect with a, what I call is passion. It would be like the next part of that. And passion is just allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to enjoy the things of life. Like sometimes we, we miss dance class, you know, like we might have, maybe we danced when we were little and then we became an adult and we're like, oh, we don't want to dance anymore. But maybe dance is the our moment in time where we have a break and we just get to feel joy. And when we're feeling joy, more things come in that support us. So I, I think that's an important element to it. And then um, lastly, when you're in touch with your personal power and you have passion back in your life, more prosperity enters. And so you kind of just end up having this whole full life that's centered from you standing in, in your personal power. So I don't know if that was too long of an answer, but that's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> no, I think that's really fantastic. And I think it's something, again, that so many of us are maybe looking to take ownership and we don't really know kind of where to get started. We might feel like a lot of decisions were just made over the years, maybe kind of for us, maybe we fell into things, but we look at our lives one day and think, oh my gosh, how did I get to this? And do I like what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And am I happy with what I'm doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love to know for those who maybe are kind of noticing that and realizing that, yes, I'm the CEO of my life, but I don't really feel like it right now. Uh, what are some things we can do to start kind of taking that ownership a little bit? You know, one of the the, the first things is, um, and I kind of start the framework of the book like this too, but I think the very first thing is just to assess. You had mentioned it before, but we we kind of power through and we're just going through our lives. And then like all of a sudden it's three years later and we're like, oh, that decision I made away maybe wasn't the greatest or didn't support me the best, but then we just keep going. And I think the power really comes from stopping to assess, does this support me today? And, and it could even be a great decision three years ago isn't a great decision today. And the problem stems from we don't stop to pause enough to reflect and reassess. So I think the very first step is reassessing what's working and what's not working. I think that's important and definitely something we don't do enough of. And I love what you said about, you know, powering through. I think this is, you know, when I, when I read about that in the book and that that's kind of your default, that's certainly mine. If I am kind of going through something or stressed out, I just kind of work my way through the to-do list and that can mm -hmm. be good in some ways, but it's not, you know, necessarily addressing the problem. Can you talk a little bit about some of the different coping mechanisms we have and how they might be holding us back? Yes. Yes. I call them um, DCMs, the default coping mechanisms. And mine, as you mentioned, and yours is powering through, but powering through is, is one that I see a lot, especially in women. And I think it comes from our strength of being naturally, we're very resilient and which makes us go into this powering through with pa normally positive intention. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed tonight. When I go to bed tonight, I'm going to like pump myself up for tomorrow. I've got this, you know, I'm a badass or whatever. And it comes from this really like genuine place, but then it just keeps going and going and going and you don't really realize that things are off track. Another one would be numbing out, which is you hear more more common if people like to drink or eat or some type or maybe even binge watch Netflix too much. Like there's a numbing out that happens so that you don't have to feel. And then another common one is run. A lot of people will run from job to job or relationship to relationship so they don't have to deal with what's going on. And then lastly, control. We try to control everything, everyone and everything around us. 
to a certain extent. So those are what DCMs look like. I don't know if you want me to talk a little bit about like how to confront those and Absolutely. All right. So I'm like, that's what I love to talk about. So I call it, can I, can I say the full, can I curse on here? Sure. Okay. I wasn't sure. I was just like, I always like to ask my host, but so I call it admit when things are fucked. That is the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. (laughs) Besides having my kids Um, was just really get real with myself because we'll, We'll be like, we'll placate, oh, I can do another couple days, or I got this, or maybe it's really not as bad as I think it is. No, it's bad. Like, just admit that it's bad. And even if it's not my job at that time, I had to admit that that situation was fucked. And being able to, and I write this in the book too, but being able to say it like that actually interrupts the pattern because we're in a pattern of powering through. We're in a pattern, like psychologically, we're in a pattern of, of numbing, controlling, running, powering through. And so being able to say that um, with some intensity and then cursing actually helps to break up that pattern enough that you, you have the pause. And once you are able to admit that things aren't maybe as good as you like it, that's when, like I like to say, the universe can come in and support you and present new possibilities. I love that. I, I love that phrase too. And I, I really, it does give you a jolt. I remember in the book, you were talking about how Tony Robbins, and I never even realized this, but that he curses sometimes for, in, you know, it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. And I just saw him not this weekend, but the weekend before it was my first Tony Robbins event. And I got to see it live in action. And he certainly does do it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I I do think, you know, admitting that because you're so right. And I just saw a meme recently and it really resonated with me kind of saying how you can only heal when you tell when when you finally admit to yourself that you're hurting. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's what happened. Like I powered through to the point of falling to the bathroom floor. I mean, my biggest wish and my biggest desire for writing the book and trying to get in the hands of people was that maybe somebody doesn't have to hit the bathroom floor, right? Like maybe you can get to things when you're just a couple weeks or a couple months into them. <laughs> For sure. And sometimes it is, I, sometimes we do hit those moments where that really is the rock bottom for us or what have you, where, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. Sometimes it does get to that point, but you're right. If we can maybe pick up on it sooner and, you know, maybe before things are so fucked. Yes, exactly. You know, beyond all control or, you know, and all of that. I, I do think that that's a great way to look at it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's healthy, right? Like mm-hmm. giving ourselves permission, I think is one of the biggest things we could do. Like life's not perfect. Giving ourselves permission to start again. I say that too, like permission to choose again, like was a gift that I gave to myself. It's like, oh, maybe I won't get this right, mm-hmm. but I can choose again. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person or that I'm stupid or anything like that. It's like, I'm, I'm making the decisions And we all are. I think that none of us go into making decisions that maybe possibly had a sour outcome with the intention that it would be bad. With the information we had at hand, we made the best decision we could. And for that reason, I think it's like, just admit that it's fucked. It's cool. No big deal. You get to choose again. You know, there might be some cleanup depending on how long you stayed in that process for, but you can start again. Oh, certainly. I, um, I joke and I, I know that you are into some of the woo woo like I am. Um, uh-huh. So I can say this major lunar eclipse that we had too, it was a time where I really was able to think, wow, this situation I got myself into maybe it was not the best one. And it was, it was one of those light bulb moments, but it really illuminated it. And it was, it was just an interesting time to reflect on all of that. And of course, it, yes, it would take some healing. Yes, it's going to take some change. But I think recognizing that rather than getting through, again, the to-do list and some of the other things, which are still important, and I'm glad that I'm able to, those can be nice to kind of work through. Uh, Absolutely. Especially if you have anxiety and things like that, they, they help to manage that. Definitely. Okay, so you've admitted that things are fucked. Mm-hmm. And what is the, you know, what is the next step we should take to kind of make change in our lives and start taking that ownership? So I think this is one of the more um, critical ones from a framework perspective. Like I say, like admitting things were fucked are probably like my most life changing one because I just powered through everything. But once I got, once I admitted, like, okay, just visually either like listeners, you know, visually put yourself in the on the bathroom floor 
or in your metaphorical bathroom floor, wherever, whatever you are in your story. But like, you know, when you're in that, those moments of desperation, you're like looking up for help. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's an indication that your self-worth has probably taken a couple hits. So from the vantage point of me sitting on the bathroom floor, I was like, I knew I needed a way to climb up. And that's when I created the ladder of self-worth. So are you okay if I go into that a little bit? Absolutely. Awesome. So the ladder of self-worth kind of looks like this. And this is a game changer for the whole trajectory of everything else. Um, Because this is going to move you from potentially being on a lower priority within yourself and your, in your world to the highest priority. So there's five rungs to the ladder of self-worth. The first rung is you. The second rung is the universe or God, whatever you're comfortable framing. And the reason that it's second, some people think it should be first or everyone thinks their ladder should look different. But after coaching several people through this, I can definitely say that self goes first, God, universe, soul, whatever you want to say goes second. And that way you think of it like kind of like I'm a mom and I would never want my kids sacrificing themselves for me. I would much rather them prioritize themselves and then tell me how I can support them. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I started operating from that way, as opposed to maybe having the universe or God above me, life started flowing rather than Mm -hmm. me having to push it. It was really beautiful. So that's kind of how I have rung two. Uh, Rung three is um, intimate relationships. So these would be partners, kids, parents, or anybody that's super close, like in that first immediate ring. And the fourth rung would be other people. This would be extended family, friends, coworkers. And the fifth on the priority list is going to be career, beliefs, money, which that's a mind flip for people. They're like, really, that should be first. And (laughs) not everyone thinks like that, but a lot of people do, especially when you're in your younger years, like your 20s and your 30s, you're really hustling, you know. But what I can say is that I've had my rungs when I was on the bathroom floor. I had my career first. I had probably the universe second, then my, no, my family second, universe third, and then other people and then myself. And I just tell you that I almost ended up in the hospital. So once I started reprioritizing myself and I got myself to the top and had my rung in the order that I shared it, again, life started unfolding. And I say this in the most magical and miraculous ways. I mean, I was mind blown. So if you're listening, I would just say, what is, you know, if you were to draw your ladder of self-worth today, what rung would you fall on? And if you're on rung four or five, is there an opportunity for you to raise yourself? I think that's so powerful to really visualize it in that way too, because I hadn't really thought about it before reading the book. But as we're talking about it, I, you know, I certainly a lot of times have myself at four or five. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something, especially women, I think really can deal because you want to put family ahead and there, you know, whatever expectations that we have at work and we want to show ourselves as valuable and do the best that we can. What are your tips for getting yourself to the top of that ladder? Because I think we we might know logically that we need to take that time for self-care, but we don't understand really how to do it or how, when it comes down to it practically and all of the other life things come up, it still ends up being at the bottom of the list. Yes. I do think that there's a, a certain level of fluidness. I can't say that I'm always on number one, but I'm conscious to get myself back. And some practical steps that I took to take myself, I mean, I was number five, so I had a lot of work to do. It started with starting saying no instead of yes. And um, that would be like, for me, my, my number, I had work number one. So I had to face that. That was my rival, right? I had to, I had to try to get them lower on the, on the ladder and me higher. And as a sales leader too, I was highly engaged in my team and projects and meetings. And I had to start saying, no, I can't take on this extra project. And then, and in all transparency, my nose may have been more like diverted. Like, I'm sorry, my plate's a little full right now. Have you tried, you know, Sam or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they would want to do it. But what I'm trying to say is the reason that we're at number four or five is because we have 
too much on our plate that we're not able to get to ourselves. And so I really think it does start with boundaries. And that's just making sure you're not taking on too much. You need to create time and space for yourself. And so no, starting to say no felt a little awkward. I wrote this in the book too, but it felt a little awkward because I was like, oh my God, I'm not the favorite anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm not as well liked. And so you're going to go through this weird period where change is happening. Dynamics are shifting. But on the other side of that initial awkwardness, you do start to get more time and space. And in that time, space, in that space, you're able to bring in the things that bring you life, right? That increase mm-hmm. your life force, like finding your fire is kind of what I say. But it's like once you start connecting to that source, to that fire within you again, you can breathe. I love that. And I think the boundaries are definitely something so many of us struggle with, but something important to be keeping in mind, especially not taking on too much. That's so tempting for so many of us. And even talking about, you know, not being the favorite anymore. I mean, it's really hard to feel that way. But at the same time, if you are not, if you're not your favorite, that's, that's horrible to live in. And I, you know, I think anyone listening to this has certainly felt that at one time or another. A hundred percent. And the the thing is, is it allows you to bring in more of the things that you want. I can't say that I'm not, I'm probably more busy now than I was then when I was like burnt out and on the bathroom floor, but I am alive now. Everything I'm doing gives me life force. So I'm, I don't feel like I'm probably working anywhere from like eight to 10 hour days because I work full time and I'm also a writer, speaker, coach profile, but these things fill me up. Like if I stayed and this is like the, the, what I wanted to share, like I've always been a writer since I was a kid. So I always have wanted to write a book. That's just been like my, my thing. And I've never had the time because I was so overcommitted in things that weren't important to me. And then when I started saying no, and I started getting time and space back, I got a, I ended up in another job that was more in alignment with what I like to do. So it wasn't hard. It wasn't taking my energy. It was giving me energy. And once I had more energy, I was like, wow, I think I can sit down and write a book now. This is cool. And then I had a story to share. So that, that helped too. But the writing, what I wanted to say was that the writing started giving me energy and I would have never, ever been able to touch that place inside me if I didn't start setting boundaries and taking things off my plate. Yeah, I think that's important for us to keep in mind because when we think about taking things off our plate, we're really just thinking of letting go and maybe thinking of offloading and not so much what it's going to allow you to bring in. I think we really do just think, you know, am I being lazy? Am I saying no to too much without realizing that no one you say, because when you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. So by taking on too much, maybe at work, you're saying no to doing things you're really passionate about in, you know, in your personal life. And so for you to get to do that, to really find your fire and do something that you really love, I think is so inspiring, Uh, especially, you know, reading about your career and that you were in a company where they were basically telling you to be half of yourself and tone it down. Mm -hmm. That was a really heartbreaking experience because I think that whether it's a job or your parents or someone, I think as I've started to share that story of being asked to tone it down, so many people relate of like Mm -hmm. how heartbreaking that is when you're trying to meter yourself, you know, and you're not able to authentically express yourself. So just thank you for sharing that too, because I think it's important. That's part of like the whole point of like getting in back into your personal power is reclaiming the fullness of who you are and showing up in your brilliance and in your light, you know, because that's what the world really needs. They don't need a metered version of you. They need you full out. (laughs) Yes. So how do you, you know, we're talking about, you know, finding that fire. How do we find what we're passionate about when we have been in that day to day of just got to get through the workday, just got to get through these chores, whatever it is. And maybe we haven't taken the time to think about what truly lights our fire and makes us happy. How do we discover that? That's a really good question. And the answer is kind of silly, but not at the same time. What I have found, and it's, it's really cool, like doing this, like in an audience when there's like a live audience, because everyone's like, oh yeah, I didn't even think it was that close to me. But I'm normally like telling people, I'm like, pull out your Instagram or pull out your Pinterest. What are you following? Because like for me, I like yoga. I became a Kundalini teacher. I like books. I ended up being a writer. Like, but I always thought like my purpose and my passion was like so far outside of me (laughs) 
And like, it was really just in the things I was doing every day. So one of my my friends, for example, she went in and clients, but she went through this program and was like, I used the dance example in the beginning, but she was like, I used to be like a pretty competitive dancer. So I was like, go back to dance. You'll probably end up getting a new a new man or a new job. Like something's going to happen. Just go dance. And she did. And she did end up getting a new job that paid her almost double what she was making because she allowed that space of creativity. That's how like the universe is able to co-create with us is when we give it a space. So if you look at your Pinterest or you look at your Instagram and you're following cooking or recipes or decor, like maybe give yourself an opportunity to connect with those things a little bit more. I love that. And, you know, you have a really great story in the book too, or a really great example in the book about that either or that I think we many, many times experience and that you're a sales executive. And at the same time, you are also, a yo- you teach yoga and you have these different sides of you that are really cool and they may seem different, but both make up who you are and you don't have to choose between one or another. I feel like I've dealt with that as well sometimes where even some people that listen to the show that don't know me in real life are sometimes surprised when they learn that, yes, I host this show. Yes, I also work full-time in community relations for a credit union. And (laughs) it's not either or. You can do both. There are multiple facets to who we are. I love that. And it's such an important and freeing. This is about, this, this part is about like freedom and liberation. Right. It's like, you know, the the story that you're talking about is, you know, I'm working my corporate job as a sales executive and I needed to really connect with my soul. So I was like, I took a Kundalini yoga teacher training and it was the best thing that I could have ever best gift that I could have ever given myself. But it was really funny because my corporate people were like, you know, Becca, yoga teachers don't make a lot of money. You know, like, are you really going to give all this up to do that? I'm like, I never really thought about that, but okay. And then in my yoga community, they're like, oh, I bet you can't wait to quit your corporate job because that thing's probably still in your soul. And I'm like, didn't really think about quitting, but okay. But then I found myself polarized. Like you said, like you're able to do the show and we're in your role in your, in your corporate life. And I found myself being pulled. Like I had to choose a path. Like I either had to be corporate or I had to be you know, or I'd be a yogi. And the most liberating thing happened when I was like, no, I'm not going to choose. Screw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to embrace the and. And that's why I call it the power of and. Because when I was like, I'm a corporate sales executive and I'm a Kundalini teacher and I'm a mom and I'm this. And like the more ands I threw on, the more powerful I felt. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's such a powerful exercise for us too, and something really important for us to reframe because you're right. I so often, and this was one of the reasons I started this show was that as I was kind of on a healing journey with my own autoimmune and I'm still dealing with it, but Mm -hmm. you know, everywhere, yeah, everywhere I would look, you would find these really amazing stories and I am not knocking any of them, but they were very much like, well, I left corporate America. I moved to Bali. I was able to take all this time and do all of these great things. And I left the rat race of America. And it's like, but I kind of like having certain assignments and working for someone. And I like doing things for myself. And I, you know, I want to travel and I'd like to do some of these things on maybe a smaller scale. And it felt very much like an either war. And so I was trying to figure out, well, how can we live healthier, happier lives when Maybe we do want to also work and have mm-hmm. other responsibilities outside of that too. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that, you know, you're, you're leaning into that too. It's so freeing. Like I love my career and it doesn't like, I mean, eventually, yeah, I do want to leave it and probably go more full swing into to the new world that I'm creating for myself. But, you know, at the end of the day, I have loved my career and the two, it's given me the money to live the lifestyle I want. It's allowed me to vacation like I want. Like I have a lot of things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And the more I leaned into the and, the more I leaned into, like you said, the multifaceted version of myself, which I truly am, the more peace I felt inside. I I really do think that's just so important. And I love in the book, you, you go into some really great stories that I think many of us can relate to on some level we may have gone through or 
experienced similar feelings. And one of the things I really liked, we all hear about vision boards. And I, I think I think it's fantastic finding whatever way that you can to manifest the great things that you want into your life. But you have a vision list. And I'd love to know more about what inspired that and kind of how we can create our own, what that looks like. Yes, that's a good question. Well, I'm a corporate girl. I'm used to like bullet points and lists, right? Like I'm a master of a to-do list. And when the idea thought that I had to cut up magazines and glue and glitter and stuff, I was just like, that sounds horrible. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do that. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do different. And I created what I call a vision list. And And I think that something really important comes out of that. And I'm not knocking vision boards because I definitely have done them too. But something transmits when you write and something else transmits when you set a goal. So like for me, I was set, I would do this like by the, when I call it when I'm in an age. So when I'm 30, when I'm 30, I do them about every five years, when I'm 30, when I'm 35, when I'm 40. And I break life into like four primary buckets, my relationships, my passion and purpose, like my profession and purpose, I think is what I call it, my finances, and then lifestyle. And then I kind of go through and I'm like, hey, I'm going to dream big. This is when I I don't have to put restrictions on myself. What can life look like five years from now if I had everything I want? And I literally just go through and I was like, I want to live on a lake. I want to, you know, earn. I think I wanted to, by the time I turned 40, I wanted to earn 250,000 a year, which I did end up hitting. And I do have a house on a lake and like all these little things, um, which seemed maybe five years ago, difficult ended up coming into reality. So I think there's a power in creating um, a list for sure. I love that. And I think it also gives us some, I guess, perspective a little bit too, because there are so many times where I'm doing whatever I would normally do at work and I'm not really thinking anything of it. And I might be taking it for granted a little bit. And then I think about five years ago, I never would have thought I'd get to do this. And now it's sort of a mundane thing that I that I do and to kind of remind myself how great it is that I got to this point. It's a really nice way to reflect on, you know, what you were hoping for and what, where you ended up and you are putting that out into the universe. I I think it's such a powerful thing. It really is. And what's cool, like you said, is when you, when it it is in a list format, when you go back and look at it, you're like, holy cow. (laughs) That was cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And you get to think about, oh, wow, I did get to do that. Mm-hmm. I really love that. I, I think that's such a fantastic way to kind of build the life that you want. And to, you know, I am a list person myself. I can definitely relate in the book when even when you talked about maybe not being allowed to do Excel spreadsheets, I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I, cried. I, I literally cried. I cried for you a little bit. (laughs) They took away my Excel. Like, how mean are they? I mean, it's one thing that they asked me to be half of myself, but now they're taking away my Excel spreadsheets. No. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so talk to me a little bit about, you know, you, you had that bathroom floor moment and you were able to get into something new. You wrote your book. You've done a lot of really great things from there. What, what was that process like for you? The process overall was fun and also hard. So I think what I would like to say to the audience is transformation is a dedication, guys. It's a process. It took me about two years to really heal. And and I'm still healing years later and I'm changing and stuff. But what I want to say is that the, the dedication to your vision Like I had a vision for myself. I wanted health. I wanted prosperity. I I wanted to be connected to my passion and I wasn't willing to sacrifice those things again. So I stayed committed to the vision, which was really hard. But um, like you said, like fast forward to today, like the the stories were so fun because once I admitted that things were fucked, I literally called my best, like I'm on the bathroom floor, the new, the like I say, my instant miracle happened. I'm CEO of my life. The next day I call like my, I call her like the, my earth angel on the book, but I call my friend Chetsy and I'm like, Hey, I'm finally ready for help. <laughs> finally ready. And within 24 hours, I had a job lead, that job lead to give the listeners a little bit of perspective. I was in a corporate setting where I was in office every day. And I left that job as a sales leader 
And I went into a sales executive role where I'm selling to executives instead of being a sale, an executive myself. So I'm selling to executives. But I go back to, to Dell and now I'm driving every three weeks to the Florida Keys because that's my territory. And so like I go from being in a cube where I was like, I felt like I was dying sometimes to like my office is like the Florida Keys and my car. And now not only that, I'm making like double, almost triple the money that I was. And so my mind was just blown. Like Valerie, I tell you, like, I mean, I talk about it in the book, but I was just like, what? universe am I living in right now? This is crazy. That That is amazing. And it's because you said no to something that wasn't serving you and you made that space for something much better to come in. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the biggest, like one of the biggest takeaways, I think if you as a listener could have is just sometimes saying no is so scary, but there's such an exciting yes on the other side of that. Yes, for sure. I one, one of the things I also really loved in the book too, because you do frame everything because we are our own CEO. Um, everything is framed in a very business structure, which I really enjoyed. And you talk about your HR department. Yes. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and how we can make sure we have the best HR department that we possibly can. Yes. So I I was I thought that was pretty clever. I'm not going to lie. I was like, haha, that's so good. But yes, in the beginning of the book, I talk about our human relationships department as one of I, I say there's four primary departments, but focusing on the human relationships department, I, I double click into this a little bit in the book because it is the one that by far sets us up for failure or for sacrifice is what I like to say. And so our HR department, um, there's an assessment in the book that kind of helps you understand where you are sacrificing yourself or where you might be prioritizing other people above yourself, but it could be your boss, it could be you know, a husband, your kids, whatever, but it's a, it's an eye opener when you realize how much your human relationships are the ones that are actually dictating your, your life. I can completely agree with that because I've definitely had that, you know, in a positive way, but also in a negative way where I didn't take an opportunity because of how someone might feel about it, or I've taken too much stock in what others thought about something and let that sometimes even just dim who I am. Yes. Yes. And I think that's something important for us to kind of keep in mind and realize, hey, some of the people in our life, you you talk about, you know, you have your influencers. Yes. And thank you for bringing that up because I think the important thing as we design our life, like I do believe every life is going to look different because we're all unique, but we do have the capacity to build in healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the capacity to find coaches, mentors, influencers, and public figures that might be able to give us information so so that we can rise into the fullness of who we are. And you'll have friends, like just because you've had friends for 20 years doesn't mean, I call them the fan club too, right? Like you can create a little fan club for yourself because, you know, as you start rising up, you're going to need support. Your confidence is going to like drop and then come back up and then drop again. And it's like really awesome if you can find one, two or three friends in your circle too, that are like, They understand how badass you are. They understand who you are spiritually too. And just like, they just know you, they get you, Mm -hmm. right? Those are the people you want to call on and be like, okay, like I'm second guessing myself today. Yeah. Do you have any tips for how to identify those friends and kind of how to nurture those relationships? I do. For me, I had to, I think it's also like, what are you looking for? So in the book, I gave an example of when I I really built my own fan club. (laughs) That's what I called them too. I'm like, you guys are my fan club. But I knew that they understood, they've been around me professionally enough to understand what I do. A a lot of friends and family don't understand what you do as a career, Mm -hmm. right? your coworkers and peers do, but sometimes not your, your friends. So, but I, I wanted, I wanted friends that like really genuinely cared about seeing me succeed. So I think that's one is, you know, not all your friends want to see you succeed and mm-hmm. hopefully you're, you're not on that side. Hopefully all your friends want to see you succeed and then you're in a really good place. But you know, if you're starting, like find some friends that genuinely want to see you reach your peak potential. Like, yeah, it'd be so cool if you did all your dreams came true. That'd be awesome. And then that also understand your skill set and your abilities that can call you on your shit if you're playing small too. It's not all about just support. I like the people I picked. I I know they'd call me out. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I think that's important what you mentioned too, that, you know, you may have friends that are not really as invested in your success. I think sometimes we bond with people through difficult times. And then as we're trying to kind of grow and move past, and they may still be in that time period, they may not be willing to, you you know, they, they may not want to see you leave that space. And I hate to say that because that can be kind of negative, but that can be difficult. Yes. Yeah, it can. And it's also real. You know, I think it's really valid that you bring that up because it's a reality that we face is like, hey, that's a really good friend. I was, you know, they were my best friend when I was going through the breakup. But is that going to be the right friend when you're trying to hit your next level? That does, And that's why you assess these things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think I think it's very important as you talk about quite a bit in the book and as we've talked about just taking that time to really reflect and kind of take inventory because life does change and your situation may change and relationships that served you at one time may just not be right for you or may not be right for you in certain situations even today. Yes. And that's like you mentioned earlier, like practical steps for the listeners. I think that's one practical step that I still do. Um, I've harnessed my inner CEO, so to speak, for the last four years, but I stop about every 90 days to reflect multiple things. Who am I surrounded by? Um, What am I focused on? Are my priorities that were important to me three months or six months ago? Are these still the primary things that I want to work on? And, 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 you know, Valerie, I'm going to be real, like our priorities shift. Mm -hmm. And I never realized how much they shift until I stopped and started looking at them about every 90 days. I was like, oh yeah, that's not important to me right now. This is more important. But if I didn't stop to do that, I wouldn't realize that about myself, like how much my priorities change. Yeah. And you think about, you know, an enterprise, I mean, it's like your quarterly check-in on, you know, sometimes the goals change. Sometimes the business has the environment shift. Things change. We have a pandemic and our priorities change. Right. And if you're not stopping, like if you're not stopping, how are you going to shift? The best businesses, and I relate that this is like why I like saying the framework of pretend that you're the CEO of your life, but also look at it like you're your you enterprises, your Valerie enterprises, I'm Becca enterprises, right? If this was a CEO, they would be stopping to look at the business probably mm-hmm. monthly. They look at it weekly and daily, you know, in a lot yeah. of cases, but that, that, that pause definitely does happen at least once a quarter. Like where do we need to adjust? What levers do we need to pull up and what levers do we need to pull down? And um, I really think it's important to look at our lives the same way. I could not agree more. I really love the framework that you've put together. And I think that These are just really important tools that all of us can have. We want to take ownership in our lives and we want to live the lives that that we deserve to live. And so to to treat it in this way, to look at it in kind of this different light, I think it's a great way of reframing things. And um, I really loved the book. Now, I would love to switch gears a little bit and just ask you a few of our rapid fire questions. Yeah, let's go. Wonderful. So what would you say is your top wellness tip? I'm paying attention to my, but what my body is saying about my decisions. I like that. How do how do you do that exactly? So I I like to check in, and so when I'm making a decision, I am looking um, specifically to see if I'm getting tension in my shoulders, tension in my neck. Am I getting a pit in my stomach, or am I getting butterflies in my stomach? Is my heart starting to pound? Is my hands starting to sweat in a good way? You know, like your mm-hmm. body, if you if you check in with your body, your body's going to be able to tell you yes or no's. And that is how I've been able to stay in harmony with myself and make better decisions. I love that. I think that's something that we, we don't always trust our bodies, but I think that's something so important to get in tune with. So I absolutely love that advice. Now, where is your favorite travel destination? I have two answers. One is I just, because it's so close to South Florida, I go to the Caribbean all the time. So that's probably my favorite just because of access. And I'm like, I love tropical, but my favorite vacation was Kauai, Hawaii. Ooh. I'm dying to go there. And you're right, like the Caribbean is such a, it's beautiful and it's such an easy trip from here. It is. So nice. Uh, and I definitely need to plan a trip to Kauai. <laughs> it's so pretty. The Wanderlust. It's, it's, all these places are calling to me right now. Uh huh. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Lioness all day. That's my totem animal. Because I think the lioness, like when I connected with her, it gave me permission and like that and it gave me permission to be fierce 
and loving and protective yet kind. Like, I don't know. Like, I just think the lioness, because I have like that hunter, I'm like a A plus person. And the lioness also, they're tribal. When all the lionesses, they help care for each other's cubs and stuff like that. So I don't know. I kind of geeked out on the lioness and I was like, I'm in. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great answer. And um, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? If I could master a new skill, I want to learn how to play guitar so bad. So one day it's going to happen. (laughs) Anything in particular that you're dying to play? I, yes, my dad played guitar growing up and like he could play Pink Floyd, like all the leads. And I don't know that I could ever be as masterful as my dad, but if I could rip comfortably numb one time on that lead guitar solo, that would be really cool. Oh, that would be amazing. (laughs) I think that would be so cool and such a great connection because I know you have, you know, a very musical family. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. And what's next on your bucket list? Next on my bucket list is I'm actually starting the outline for book number two. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Anything you're able to share yet or? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm flirting with, it's not like a hundred percent baked, but getting there thinking that it's going to be this part two to harness your inner CEO. And it's going to be called break up with burnout. Ooh. I think we could all use that. Uh-huh. I'm getting excited. And then like, all honesty, Two, I think it's a really important book that I want to give birth to because we didn't go into it as much in this talk, but we, we've flirted with it as the autoimmune disease. Like mm-hmm. when we're not listening to our bodies and we're staying in spaces of burnout, we're increasing mental health issues. We're giving our bodies a state to get into autoimmune disease. It's a monumental cleanup to get your life back on track when you when you don't break up with that cycle. And like, it is a cycle. It's a pattern. And I have to be very mindful because I'm A plus and I like to be an overachiever. I could go back to it, Valerie, in two seconds if, I, if I'm not recognizing that it's a problem. I totally understand that. I've had my functional medicine doctor has even told me at times you know, yes, there are some things we can do as far as supplementation and diet and things like that. But there have been times where she has said, hey, I really think that it's the stress that is yes. exacerbating all of this. How did you, because I know, you know, for, and I know this is not rapid necessarily, but we we've both kind of dealt with this a little bit. And for you going through autoimmune disease and then kind of coming through this transformation, what, what changes did you make that, that helped you along that journey? Reducing my stress helped a lot. I mean, I, I, I just came out of a autoimmune flare up, so it's not gone, but it's in remission mm-hmm. most of the time. I, I wrote the book and then ha- I had my book launch and then I drank and ate everything I wanted and it was <laughs> fabulous. But after a week of like kind of just like doing whatever I wanted, my body was like, that was bad idea bad. (laughs) But but overall, I mean, I went probably almost a year without a flare up. And I really say that, you know, diet and supplements, I work with a functional medicine doctor too, but it was this, it was harnessing my inner CEO that, that helped me get there and that managing, making sure I had passion in my life, making sure prosperity was there, making sure I was in my personal power, that I wasn't dimming my light that I was able to say no. One of the things that I had to stop overextending myself, and I still have a tendency to do that, but you know, I don't hang out with friends as much as I used to. Like I really need to wind down by 5:30. It sounds like that's such a simple answer, but I'm done. I mean, in podcasts like this is easy, but m- for most days I'm really done with my day at 5:30. I'm cooking dinner and then and I'm purposely putting my body in a state where it gets to calm down. I think that's so important because I I think so often when we're going through this and maybe we feel like our bodies aren't listening to us and that they're not doing as much as we want them to do, we just keep pushing and burning ourselves out even more. And I find if I go to bed earlier and I stop whatever it is that I'm doing, I have the capacity to get it done the next day and I feel so much better. Yes. And that's like the weirdest thing because here I am, you know, I got so sick, like my hair was falling out in clumps. Like it was, it was a big deal. You know, in this past year I worked full time and wrote a book and stayed in remission. Like what? Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of comes back to like honoring the body. And then of course the food and supplements too, but absolutely. Well, I am very excited for this breakup with burnout. I will be first in line to purchase the book. That's something that I can always use. And I know our listeners can too. So we'll have to 
uh, do a part two as well. Yes, I would love to. Yes. Now, Becca, this has been fantastic. I've loved chatting with you. Can you tell our listeners where they can find the book and connect with you? Yes, I certainly can. So um, the book is on Amazon, Harness Your Inner CEO. This episode will post in time. So there is a holiday special going on through the end of the year that if you go to BeccaPowers.com forward slash Harness Your Inner CEO, I have a buy one, get one signed promotion going on. So all the details are on that page. And as far as following me, the handle is the same across platforms. So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook at Becca Powers 1313. I will link all of that in the show notes so listeners can find you and connect and get to read your wonderful book. I found it to be so practical. I've read through and now I've got to go back through and do some of the exercises to really get to experience it. But I just want to say truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing with us today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. It was just a really like soulful and powerful conversation. I really enjoyed it too. I loved chatting with Becca and learning all about how to harness my own inner CEO. I'm usually at my happiest when I'm checking in with myself regularly, kind of like we talked about in this conversation, but Becca's book really inspired me to look at myself almost like I'm my own business. It's a really interesting framework and she has such great exercises and examples in her book to help you do that and really, really thrive. Now we're coming up on a new year, so I think this is the perfect time to start to really reevaluate. That vision list she talked about really hit home for me personally, and it's something I definitely plan to put together for myself before the year is up. Now, if this conversation resonated with you, I highly recommend checking out Becca's book, Harness Your Inner CEO, and let me know what you think. Let her know what you think. I have linked the book in the show notes along with all of her social media handles, so be sure to connect and to check it out. As always, I want to thank you for being a part of this community, for sharing this part of your day with us, and for tuning into the show. If you have a topic you want to explore in a future episode, I am all ears. I love hearing listener feedback, so please Reach out to me on Instagram at Wellness and Wanderlust blog or shoot me an email at Valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net. You can lend your support to the show by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in from. Ash, thank you again for sharing your thoughts. It helps other people to find the show and it only takes a few minutes out of your day. So I would love to hear what you think if you find yourself tuning in from week to week. Now, for those of you who celebrate, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and happy holiday season. I can't wait to see you next week and I look forward to chatting with you soon.